start out today with a, a scripture reading. And he also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Two men went up to the temple to pray, and one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. And the Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, even like that tax collector over there. I, I fast twice a week. I give a tithe of all I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift his eyes to heaven. But he beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. This is the word of the Lord in Luke chapter 18, 9 through 14. Well, good morning. morning. I'm thrilled to be with everybody today. We had a great week this last week. We had a great time at the Ice Cream Social. There was, I think, about 40 uh, guests that I could count. Those were the adults. There was like 100 kids running around here and, and eating lots of ice cream and having t- fun. And then uh, uh, we had a great women's conference yesterday. I think there were uh, about 34 people here, and, and, and there was about 44 total that I could count uh, around the world, actually, in Africa and England and different things, paying attention. So we had quite a reach. We started our life groups this week, and I think we had 24 on Wednesday in, in Bible study, which was awesome. And and, and so God is, is doing things in our midst, and, and it's great. I, I like to kick things off a little bit differently this morning. Um, you know, last week's lesson uh, uh, and this week's lesson revolve around the theme of prayer. Um, and our story today zeroes in on two men who visited the temple to pray. And in Isaiah 56, it encourages us to find joy in this place, which is a house of prayer. And um, that's what God's desire would be for this place, to be a house of prayer. And so now here's what we're going to do. And this is going to be different. I'm going to ask everyone, teens included, to pair up with somebody here who isn't a family member or their closest buddy in church or is South African. (laughs) If you're South African, find somebody who's not South African. Okay? Um, I I really want to mix up. I, I want you to... Uh, get up and, and, and find somebody, um, someone maybe you're not too familiar with. Get, get to know somebody a little new, a little bit better, and, and um, uh, you know, go up to them, and I want you to sit down next to them and, and settle down side by side, and then and, and, and recognize we have some that it's harder for them to move, so come to them. So if you have struggle getting up and getting around, go to them. Uh, uh, then I want you to do is I want you to share with that person, your new friend, something that you're struggling with today. It doesn't have to be monumental. It, it could be that you burnt the toast this morning. It doesn't have to be a monumental issue, but just something, some kind of a, a struggle in, in, in your life that, that you need God's help or, or, or guidance on. And then after you both share with each other, I don't want you to give any advice to one another. That's not allowed. I just want you to listen to what they say, and then I want you to pray for one another out loud. Now, I know some of you might be getting a little nervous thinking about that out loud part, right? Now, if you're thinking, I I don't pray out loud, don't worry. It's easy. Think of it having a chat with a friend. Everybody here know how to talk to somebody? So you all know how to talk to somebody, right? 
So there needs to be no fancy words. Actually, I'd rather there not be. I just want you to close your eyes and just have a, 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 a say something to God, whatever you can, about the issue you just talked to your friend about. Um, short and sweet works fine. It actually is going to work best in, in this way. If you're a veteran in praying, I want you to keep it simple. No, like, you know, rolling in the spirit and getting all crazy and casting out the devil. You don't need to do that. Just talk to God simply. Unless there are issues, the devil's all over them. But, you know, just simply, just simply go to God humbly and, and talk to him about the issue because he hears our prayers with just simple language. Um, so I'd like everybody to do that right now. Now, let's go ahead and start mixing it up and, and, and find somebody. Uh, now, that's your mission. You got five minutes, so, so, so move, <laughs> move. Now, the way you're going to know it's over um, the way you're going to know it's over is I'm going to start praying from here. And when you hear me praying in, in five minutes, then you're going to uh, stop praying. And we'll continue with the service. So find somebody. Dear Father, you can hear every voice that's here and they can continue to pray. You can hear all of our voices at once. And as they wrap up with praying for one another, Lord, I know that you've heard every voice. I could just hear whispers, but that you heard every prayer and, and you know what's on their heart. And Father, I, I pray that you would bless us today with your Holy Spirit. Father, that you would bring answers to the prayers of your people. We know you hear us and at the right time you will, you will answer our prayers. And Father, I, I pray that you would lift up this congregation. Many of them are weary. They've worked hard this week. And Father, I pray that you would renew their strength, that you would give them uh, courage this week to face a new week, and that you would help them with whatever trials that they are, are going through. Lord, we, we just thank you for your love for us and your kindness, and, and may we grow as we hear your word today, and we, may we become more like your son, Jesus. And I pray that in Christ's name. Amen. Now, you're welcome to stay seated next to your new friend, where you can go back, uh, whatever. I know people have their assigned seating, so. <laughs> well, thank you. I know for some of you, that, that might have been a little scary, right? That, that might have been a little scary for some of you. But tell me, were those few minutes of, of, of time, uh, were, 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 were they special to you, making a new friend, connecting with them. You know, it's just wonderful what God does when his people come together to pray. It says Jesus is, is right there. And, and, and here's something I hope you grasped in that moment, that we're all facing something. We're all struggling in one way or another. And I often refer to this place as the island of misfit toys that we're all broken just a little bit. We all have our quirks, our, our struggles, our, our broken parts. And, and there's a couple of traps that, that people often fall into when they come to church. There are two lies that come from our enemy um, that uh, kind of mess us up. The enemy switched my foot pedal, so I'm <laughs> getting used to that. Um, they come straight from the earth. First is assuming that everyone else in the room has it all figured out. That's one of the lies Satan tells us. 
and that, that we're the only one wrestling with our sin and our struggle. And the second is thinking, I'm all right. It's everybody else around here that's messy, not me. Right? Those are two lies that the enemy is telling people here today when they come to church. And then when a guest walks in, they're, 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 they're feeling that. But here's the real deal. We all need God's grace. And, and friends, that's what brings us together. You know, buying into the idea that we're either worse or better than others is only something that will pull us apart. Insecurity and too much confidence are, are just two sides of the same coin, the same prideful coin. They're both about comparing ourselves to others, taking our eyes off true reliance on God. Instead, we're seeking the approval or the proving thoughts of those around us. And the Bible says this, that the fear of man lays a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is safe, Proverbs 29, 25. And so today's sermon's title is, title is The Self-Sufficiency Trap. See, you see, whether we consider ourselves to be utterly self-sufficient or we consider ourselves to be painfully lacking, we're setting our sights in the wrong direction, focused on either judging ourselves or judging others rather than turning to God for grace. And, and I believe it's something we all fall into. We fall into this trap at times. And it's not just a trap, it, 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 a simple trap. It's an eternally, potentially dangerous pitfall that can ruin us. And yet the snare of it is extremely subtle. It, it resembles a silent gas leak that goes unnoticed, yet it's quite lethal to us. And so today, let's delve into Jesus' words in, in Luke 18, in ver, starting in verse 9, and, and let's try to steer clear of this perilous trap that we can all be tempted to fall into. It says in verse 9, He told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. You know, in last week's parable, Jesus was talking to his disciples about being persistent in prayer. And, and trusting that God is good and, and that he will hear us and that he will act. But this week's audience that Jesus is talking to is a different audience. Last week it was his disciples. This week it's the Pharisees. And it's about what he's talking about is the attitude of our heart as we pray. And Jesus said to those same Pharisees in Luke 16, 15, you are those who justify yourself before men, but God knows your heart. For what is exalted among men is an abomination in the sight of God. Hey, the Pharisees, they, they were like the religious it crowd of their time. Seriously, they considered themselves the, the cream of the crop, always sticking to God's law to the T. And yet, they did know their stuff. Most of them had memorized the first five books of the Bible. And they separated themselves, that's what the word Pharisee means, from the folks that they saw as lower than them, those who enjoyed different music and, and maybe watched different movies or hung out with the, quote, bad crowd. They, they, they're the ones trying their hardest to be holy, which isn't a, a bad thing. But the problem started when they thought that they were holier 
than others due to their squeaky clean lifestyle. Now, Jesus pointed out that they were pretty good at showing off their goodness in front of others. They, they thought that them living a better life than others was their golden ticket into God's kingdom. Rather than relying on God's grace, they were putting their bets on being a notch above everybody else so that they might enter heaven. And sadly, this self-reliance brought out the worst in them, making them actually look down on others. And the worst part, they, they missed seeing Jesus for who he truly was. They were too caught up in playing judge of others so they could feel better about themselves. But here's the thing. What Jesus was teaching isn't about following a set of rules like other religions. See, all, all religion is about do. And friends, the gospel is about what's been done. It's not about doing more to earn God's favor. Instead, it's about embracing the fact that Jesus has done everything necessary for us. It's not about puffing ourselves up with pride and, and being self-reliant, but finding humility in accepting God's grace. And, and so to illustrate this, Jesus tells this parable about two people trusting, or t about these people, one was trusting in his own performance and his own religion. And so verse 10 says, two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. Now Jesus picks two polar opposites, two polar opposite characters for his parable. One a religious guy that everybody would look at and say, yeah, that guy's going to heaven. And a tax collector, the most hated and despised person in their culture. The person that everybody out there would think was the worst of sinners. In our culture today, the worst villain would be a, 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 a white 59-year-old Christian man, like me. Today, I'm the cultural villain, but th then it was the cultural villain was a tax collector. And see, everyone needs a villain in their religion to feel better about themselves. And I I'd be happy to serve as, as your villain today, but that won't help you. That won't help you. See, culturally, villains change. But the problem of religion stays the same. When we feel justified in ourselves because someone else is perceived worse than us, we are in a religious trap. And this is where this Pharisee is when he comes to pray with the tax collector. Now, now it's commendable that both men are coming to pray. Religious disciplines are a good thing. They help us connect to God the problem was with the heart with which these things were being done. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I, I give tithes of all I get. I want you to know something that the Pharisee was standing by himself and see, worship is both an individual and communal experience. But this guy, he's not standing with his brothers and sisters to pray in faith. 
He's standing by himself. The picture is here. He's up in front of the temple putting on a show with his arms up so everybody can witness how holy he is. You know, the usual posture at this time for worship would be standing with your hands raised in the air, gazing upward into the air. And this guy's ticking all the boxes, doing everything right on the outside. He's got the right posture. Now, it reminds me of what Paul said in, in, in 1 Timothy 2. You know, Paul was a Pharisee, and Paul said this, that I desire that in every place men should pray, lifting up holy hands without anger or quarreling. And so this is not a bad posture. It's actually a great posture for worship, especially when done in harmony with others, with a heart leaning on God. But here the heart isn't in the right place. See, the essence isn't how we worship, because there's lots of postures. It's why we worship and who we worship that matters. It's the issue of the heart. And sadly, religious folks tend to bicker over the how. They have worship wars. They get so caught up in the nuances, they kind of miss the point. It's like they've forgotten the essence of worship is obedience to God, which is described in the great commandment. They lose sight of the who at the center of it all. And, and, And I think what Jesus said in the great commandment, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. And the second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. Now the Pharisee, he knew those words. They're from Deuteronomy. He probably knew them better than anybody, but the Pharisee's hearts did not obey them. And it's evident in how they treated God and others. Jesus once said to this bunch of Pharisees that were being religious instead of obeying God's command to love, he said this, and the Lord said, because the people draw near to me with their mouths and they honor me with their lips while their hearts are far from me and their fear of me is a commandment taught by men. They were not obedient to God. They were obedient to doctrines taught by men. They wanted to please men to show how righteous they were. They weren't there to please God. I mean, look who this Pharisee is praying to. Look again at the verse. God is mentioned one time because the Pharisee is religious and he knew he had to address God in his prayer. But look what's also there. Five times the pronoun I is in those verses. This prayer is not about God's will, it's about his will. He's thanking God that he is not better than other men. Or I'm sorry, he's thanking God that he is not like other men, that he's not like other men. Is he really better than other men? His prayer is blasphemy against what the word of God says. In Romans 3, the Apostle Paul asks these questions. Are we Jews any better off? And then he answers this question. He says, not at all. Now, the Jews hated the Greeks, and that's who he's, are we better off than the Greeks because of their false religion and their liberal practices? And, and often they felt superior to them. And, and Paul says they are both under sin. And then he quotes the Old Testament to prove it. 
He does a mashup of different verses in Psalm 14 and, and Psalm 53 and others to, to prove it. He says this, none is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. They've all become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is under their lips. The mouth is full of curses and bitterness, and their feet are swift to shed blood. In their paths are ruin and misery, and the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Friend, I want you to know today that you are no better and you are no worse a sinner than anybody else in this room. You are no better and you are no worse. We are all condemned before God without his grace. We are all condemned without God's grace. No matter how cleaned up we think we are in our religion or our religious activity, uh, and I hear way too many Christians having conversations about how bad the world is out there or how bad a, a fellow church member is. And I hear way too little discussion about how their own sin offends God. Way too little about how their own sin offends God. Shouldn't all of our confession be about ourselves and mean that we have no advantage because of our behavior, religion, or self-improvement? Instead, if you ask most people why God will allow them into his kingdom, they will do a comparison, just like this Pharisee. They'll do a comparison with those that they feel are worse sinners than they are. Well, I ain't killed nobody. I'm not a thief. I don't cheat people. I, I don't sleep around. Plus, I, I, I go to church. I, I, I make an offering, and I, I try to be nice to people. And, and isn't that exactly what the Pharisee prayed when he praised himself instead of God? And, and even while praying in the temple, there was no fear of God in his mouth full of curses for his brother, the tax collector. He addressed God, but he praised himself. Who was glorified? Himself. Who was demonized? Someone God loves. The Pharisee looked good on the outside to everyone in that temple. But the venom of asps was on his lips in his prayer. Now, now let's look at the other character who came to worship. But the tax collector standing far off would not even lift his eyes to heaven. But he beat his breast and he said, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Now, tax collectors were the most hated people in the first century in, in, in Jewish culture. See, they collected taxes for their enemy, the Romans. And they were often fellow Jews that did this. And they were allowed to charge more than what the Romans required and, and take that as an extra profit for themselves. And often they were the neighbors and friends of, of other people, or they probably weren't friends, but they lived in the same community. They were Jews. And so they were betraying their own people by leveraging the Roman military might to threaten violence so that they can enrich themselves. And everybody agreed they were just the worst and that's why when you see them mentioned in the Bible, it often says the tax collectors 
and the sinners. Like, sinners are bad, but tax collectors are ten times worse. The Bible states that the wage of sin is death, indicating that the penalty for sin, all sin, all sin, is eternal death in hell. All sin. Yet it doesn't specifically mention tax collecting, does it? But the Pharisee would probably argue that it was implicitly included, right? And the Bible doesn't mention that tax collecting is a sin, but they, they, they would say that, yeah. However, God would assert that worshiping yourself as an idol of holiness, placing yourself above God, is also a sin, right? In fact, in, in, in the Ten Commandments, it comes first. Like, number one priority. Well, tax collecting is not mentioned in the Ten Commandments, is it? Or in the law. It, it says, you shall have no other gods before me, Exodus 23. Who, 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 who again is being worshipped in the Pharisee's prayer? Who's being worshipped? Himself. But the tax collector wasn't worshiping his own goodness. Actually, quite the opposite. Instead of being up front like the Pharisee, where everybody could see how holy he was, this man stood far off. He, he, far, he, he felt barely worthy to come into the temple. He wasn't list, lifting up his arms, singing a song. Oh, sings my soul, how great I am. How great I am. This man couldn't even look up to God. Instead, he beat his breast as a sign of great sorrow over his sin. Beating your breast in worship wasn't the appropriate form of worship in the, in the temple. Women sometimes beat their breasts in their culture to show their great sorrow mourning things, but men didn't do that. In the Old Testament, Isaiah 32, 12 mentions the complacent women of Jerusalem beating their breasts in, in sorrow as a response to God's impending judgment on the city. And then similarly, in, in the New Testament, Luke 23, 48, describes how after witnessing the crucifixion of Jesus, and where the Roman guard says, this truly was an innocent man, people started beating their breasts in response to their profound sorrow and remorse that they felt seeing this innocent man be crucified. Now, this tax collector wasn't insecure in the temple because he was comparing his life to more holy men like the Pharisee. He wasn't fearing the opinions of men like the Pharisee was. Instead, he felt a deep conviction about his own sin. And friends, it wasn't just sorrow for being caught in his sin. Sometimes we're just simply sorrowful because we got caught in sin and we have to face the consequences of our action. His sorrow stemmed from sinning against a holy God, the one who had given him life, the one who had given him opportunity and provision to sustain him. And yet he had the audacity to repay him with sin. You know, as a tax collector, I'm sure he had treated others badly. 
part of the deal. Sure, he cheated people, and um, maybe aside from being a tax collector, he, he might have committed other sins too. Perhaps he was an adulterer. We don't really know his specific sins. We know, what we do know is his heart, his heart felt sorrow for sinning against the one who created him. You know, David, King David expressed a, a similar sentiment in Psalm 51, verse 4. It says, against you, you only have I sinned and, and done what evil, what's evil in your sight. See, David had an affair with another man's wife, and that hurt her. And he had, he had that husband killed to cover the sin, which was hurting him. And he, and he lied to his best friend in his kingdom about his transgression. And maybe David felt bad about how he, had, how he treated others, but what he was really mourning was that he had sinned against his God. See, friends, regret and repentance are, are two very different things. Regret is usually a focus on self, on how we're feeling or how we're perceived by a man or ourselves. But repentance is, a, is something different. It's a change of heart from self-justification to recognizing that there is no justification for our sin. That you are rightly condemned by God for your sins against him. And your only option is to cry out to him for mercy. Now, this man, like the Pharisee, addresses his prayer to God because his sin was against God. But his words are short and sweet. There's no self-justification in them. He just says, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Actually, in the Greek language, it says, the sinner, not a sinner. This man isn't just saying, hey, I made a mistake. Everybody makes a mistake. He's not trivializing it, saying, hey, since the Bible acknowledges we're all sinners, sin's no big deal. Um, no. He's recognizing he's the sinner, the one who deserves to die for his sins. And this word merciful here is, is not the usual one used in Scripture. Later in this passage in, in Luke 18, a, a blind man calls out for mercy, and he uses the word elieo, and, um, which means I need help or I'm hurting. Uh, I, uh, help me, please. But the word for mercy here is an unusual one. It's hilelos kamayo, and Jason can fix that later. It, 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 it is to ask um, for great for grace that's what it actually means it's to ask for grace or to say i have no hope without you he is saying atone for me be my propitiation cover my sin he's asking to be expiated or purified to have the stain of his sin and his shame taken away that's that's what he's asking for in this word he has nothing to justify himself for for this sin or his sins no, no amount of good works will suffice. No, no promise to do better will do. No comparison to a worse sinner will make him clean. No, the only thing that will work is if God takes away his sin and makes him new. And Jesus says in verse 14, I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. And when Jesus tells you, I tell you, it's significant. He is saying, 
This is the truth. This is the real deal. This is God's final word on it. This man, the notorious sinner, was justified. And I want you to think of this word justified as being declared not guilty or innocent. I, I, I like to remember it this way, just as if I never sinned. Jesus says, I tell you, this is a promise from God that all these man's sins were gone. And so will yours be if you are not self-sufficient but dependently trusting on the mercy and the grace of God? Now, in this parable, Jesus' audience would be shocked to see the tables turned this way. The the person that they least expected is the one who finds grace in the eyes of God. Friends, it's so easy, isn't it, to get caught up in outward appearances, in what people think of us. We're all tempted that way. And this Pharisee seemed to have it all together, didn't he? I mean, fasting twice a week, memorizing all the scriptures, tithing generously. Heck, other people probably looked up to him. They probably admired his dedication, even aspiring to be like him, even though he was a son of hell. But God sees beyond that, doesn't he? He wasn't fooled by the show. Because despite all those righteous acts, this man's heart, wasn't in the right place friends it was all about him it was all about his achievements his supposed superiority he didn't realize that all those religious deeds meant nothing that we all fall short that we're all in the same boat desperately needing a merciful god to give us grace and to save us jesus said That in his famous Sermon on the Mount, he said, For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. And this Pharisee, he was not a bad guy. By our standards, we would love to have him as our neighbor. He did the right thing most of the time. But his heart was wrong. He trusted in himself, not in God. Morally, he was a great citizen. It's, It's hard to beat his behavior as a human being. But friends, morality does not save you unless it's perfect by God's standard. Jesus, the one telling this story to help them all see the trap, was the only morally perfect one that's walked on this earth. The only one who truly always loved God and and lived to glorify him instead of glorifying himself. He was the only one who truly loved his neighbor as himself and treated them justly, no matter what kind of sinner they were. He is the only one who honored God with his lips and his heart was never far from him. He was the only one that could atone for our sin. He was the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. God allowed his son to come and live as one of us, but without sin. And and God allowed him to die at the hand of self-justifying men on a cross because they felt threatened by his goodness, because it exposed their sin. 
And then a great reversal happened there too. He died on a Roman cross and all of our sin was placed in him and all of his goodness, all of his moral goodness and righteousness was given to us. When he died, he said, it is finished, meaning our sins were paid in full. What was needed for our salvation was done. There was nothing we need to do or could do to earn God's favor. Our religion won't wash away our sin. Only his blood is sufficient to do that. Friends, the the wage of our sin is death. But he died for us. He accepted that wage. And then on the third day, that same Jesus walked out of the grave, proving what Paul said in Romans 6.23, for the wage of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Today, and what does your heart trust in? The trap of self-sufficiency that will send you to hell? What, the, the trap of self-sufficiency that will lead you to have contempt for others? Or today, do you, do, you, do you trust in the mercy of God who sent his son Jesus Christ whose blood is sufficient to remove all of your sin? And Jesus lays one more universal truth. Same truth is said, at least four to five times in the New Testament. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Who was the religious Pharisee exalting in all his religious activity? It appeared to be God, but it was himself. And he was humbled. And if he didn't change, he would forever be brought low in God's judgment. But the sinner who understood his low state and he cried out for mercy, he was given abundant life. He was given joy. He was given eternal life. And he was going to be praised by God as his son forever because he trusted in the mercy of God. Friend, What's true? What does your heart really trust in? Is it caught in the trap of self-sufficiency that will lead you to hell? Because self-sufficiency does foster contempt for others? Or, 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 Or do you trust in the mercy of God in Jesus Christ whose blood was sufficient to remove all your sins? Today, believe in his love. Humbly. Because His grace will give you the power to obey Him by loving God and loving others. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Who was the religious Pharisee exalting with all his religiosity? himself 
so he would be brought low in God's judgment. But the man, may you today be like the man. May, may you humble yourself like the tax collector and, and, and beat your breast in sorrow. You know, there's an old hymn that goes like this. Nothing in my hands I bring. Simply to the cross I cling. And I, I just urge you, and I've been repenting this week, I urge you to cast away your self-sufficient attitude. We all need to. And cling to a God who atoned for you on the cross. And I want you to recognize today that you are a sinner in desperate need of mercy. And so humble yourself. Beat your breast in sorrow. And place your trust in what God has done for you. Confess him as your Lord and Savior. And embrace the fullness of life that he gives freely to everyone who trusts in him. Let us pray. Father, I forgive me. Forgive me for all the times I've prayed wrongly, thought wrongly, felt like I was doing good on my own. Father, I'm nothing without your grace. And neither are my brothers and sisters. So may we turn today and praise you for your amazing grace. Saved a wretch like me. I was lost. But you found me. And you've set my heart free. Father, my brothers and sisters, I, I pray that today they would be set free from the trap of self-sufficiency. They would rely daily on your grace to call out to you. That they would not fear praying for another because they're no better, no worse than anybody else. We all put our underway on the same way. Lord, when we all just need you, we need more of you in our lives. So, Father, may they turn and repent today. Find joy in your grace. And find life in you. I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.